This is the Non-Microwave Truth brought to you by Time of Grace. This is a podcast geared towards challenging our culture's truth and perspective and comparing it to God's word. And I am C.L. Whiteside. This is the third part of our three-part series when we're looking at sex. And I thought we should keep the sex theme in our first world problem question. And that first world problem question is this, like, what age should parents have the sex talk? And I don't think there's an exact number or grade that you can put on it. But I do think that parents should constantly be telling their kids that they should be comfortable or can be comfortable telling them anything, even if it seems weird or it seems gross. Being leery and listening when their kids talk about certain things like babies being born and how are babies born and how are babies even reproduced? And I got this one from Amber, whose podcast is titled The Little Things. And she talked about like when you watch TV and let's say you see something sexual on the television screen and you know your child saw it, you probably should have a conversation about it because there are going to be questions. And if there aren't any questions, you should at least ask them, do you have any questions about that? Do you know you can do you feel comfortable enough talking to me about that if you do have questions and just gauging what they know or what they think they know or if they're even interested in it? And sex is definitely one of those things, especially when they get into teenage years where you can't just sit down, have one conversation about it and then be like, yep, I told them everything they need to know. You got to keep having conversations about it because I can guarantee their friends are having a number of conversations about it. The things that they're seeing on TV is having a number of messages being sent to them or their music, too. So that's got to be ongoing conversations. Hey, it's only awkward if you allow it to be awkward. I'm a firm believer in that. And I know I have some teenagers and college students who, who listen to the podcast. And my question for you, my first world problem question for you is how weird or how grossed out would you be if your parents like, you know, we still have sex. Boy, we still be getting it on. You better believe me and your mama, man, we're at least three, four times a week. Would you be grossed out about that? Or would you be like, you know, that's actually pretty cool. My parents still can connect in that way. And that's a good thing. But no matter if you are a parent, you're a child, you're single, you're married, what age do you think your parents should have started talking to you about sex? Like, when do you think that you first started hearing messages on sex or being interested in hearing messages from other people, especially your peers? And this is our first world problem. What age should the sex talk start? Notice I said start because it's not just one conversation. It should be a number of conversations. What age should it start, though? And this is our first world problem. Remember, love to hear from you on Instagram or Twitter. My handle is championlife23. It is dinner time. The title of our episode today is SEX Part 3. This is the third episode in our three-part series. The first two episodes covered the last two weeks go ahead and check those out if you haven't already and we're looking at today specifically like how do we avoid all the sexual traps how do we avoid all the sexual attacks that are in place to destroy you and to destroy me and if you're thinking like there are no sexual traps and attacks well have you turned on the tv lately because every time i turn on the tv i feel like it's a tv show where you almost have two people ready to have sex or even commercials they're commercials for condoms and looks like they just had electrifying sex. And by the way, condoms are like a billion dollar industry, just in case you didn't know that. 
And just to give you another example, I go on my Instagram and I click on the magnifying glass at the bottom. And on my search engine or the search page, there are two women in bikinis and everything is jiggling. There's another one in a sundress and she's walking away to show off her butt. No, I didn't click on either one of them, but this is on my, my search page. How did it get there? I don't know. I haven't been clicking on it, but the algorithms and the traps and the attacks are trying to get your boy. And just think about this. Was the last song that you just listened to, was it talking about sex? And I've said this on the last two episodes, but I got to say it again. The devil wants you and me to have as many sexually intimate moments outside of marriage and as little in marriage. Our culture definitely teaches us to create a sexuality without our spouse. You don't need a husband or wife to get it on. So like, man, how, how do we avoid all these traps and attacks that are there? They're definitely there to destroy us. And I'm going to give you six ways today. I call these the sexy six. The first one is this doesn't matter if you are married or single. You need to have I need to have fences and boundaries set up. And sometimes we got to flat out just flee from the temptation like Joseph style. Now, it's super ego boosting to have a woman throw themselves at me or be willing to do whatever. Like that's that fool's gold confidence I've talked about before. That's that swag that you get from having someone being ready to do any and everything for you. And Joseph, Joseph in the Bible, I'm not talking about married husband. I'm talking about the Joseph in Genesis 39, Joseph of Egypt. He showed us what we should do with sexual temptation. And Joseph is awesome because Joseph does not flirt with it. And we'll look at Genesis 39, but I just want you to think about like how tempting or like it, cool is not the word, but like when a good looking woman is after you or a good looking person is after you. And especially as a man, you get like a naked or a seductive picture or a video sent to you or a text saying like, hey, you can have it all or come to bed with me. Like that's exactly what Joseph was faced with. And it doesn't say in the Bible, but I strongly believe, I strongly believe that she was a good looking woman, woman, because if she wasn't, it wouldn't really been a temptation. Because like if you ever had someone make a pass at you that you thought was super unattractive, like nothing about it is tempting. You don't even flirt with him. You just like, uh, that was weak. Like, leave me alone. But I think that there was some type of sex appeal. And the woman that I'm referring to in Genesis chapter 39, that is Joseph's boss's wife. So Joseph was in charge of like everything everything. The boss is like, hey, you can have anything. You run in the ship, you run in the place. And Joseph's boss, to give you perspective, was like captain of someone important. It could have been the bodyguards. It could have been people like run the prisons. But bottom line is he was someone important. And I started thinking about the boss's wife. Like, why was she throwing it at Joseph like this? And I thought like maybe she felt deprived because her husband wasn't there a lot or he wasn't giving her the attention that she wanted. Maybe Joseph was just that dude, like Joseph was just that good looking that she wanted him and it might have been culturally acceptable for them. Maybe Joseph was a challenge she wanted to conquer and she got obsessed with going after what she wasn't supposed to have. Either way, let's look at the fences that Joseph created despite her saying, come to bed with me. And it said that Joseph refused. All right, confession time, no cap. I had, past tense, enjoyed flirting with temptation. I especially remember like in college days, like how close can I go without going all the way? Like if the penis and the vagina don't touch, it's not sex. 
You talk about having some bad fences up or some bad boundaries and you still are playing with fire. You still are sexually sinning with that type of mentality. But let's just look at how Joseph handled the situation, how we all should handle the situation. He said, look, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How do I do such a wicked thing? Just think about that. He said wicked thing. It would be a great sin against God. And that just kills the argument of um, two consenting adults or two people that want it. He realized at the end of the day, even if the let's say that the boss, Joseph's boss was a jerk, it didn't give him the right to because he still was going to be sinning against his God because that was not his wife. It goes on to say she kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her and he kept out of her way as much as possible. Do you know how many of us would have flirted with her or sent some freaky texts or allowed her to send us some pictures or something? But no, Joseph kept out of the way. That is a fence right there. He moved all the way out the way. He was not trying to do anything, nothing, nada. He was not flirting with temptation. And it goes on to say, one day, however, no one else was around when he went to do his work. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away from her, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran, fleeing from temptation. So many of us would have turned back to the temptation like, quit playing, I need my cloak back. Quit playing, I need my cloak back. And all of a sudden, she would have wrapped us up, had her arms around us, been kissing all on us, and boom. And maybe the thing for you is not an actual person. Maybe you need to flee from something on your computer or your phone. But regardless, we see that Joseph created fences and boundaries because he realized that it was sinning against God. And like I said, a lot of us won't have those in-person, somebody all over us type of temptations. It's usually going to start or be on our phone. So like if you're married, that's a very good reason to share your passwords with your spouse. And I ain't say your boyfriend or your girlfriend. I'm talking about your actual spouse. I talked about last episode having covenant eyes, which is supposed to be something that's really good for for porn. I looked up and saw something called net nanny or accountable to you or X3 watch. And these type of apps are there to allow you to have an accountability partner. So when you search up certain things, it automatically sends that to your accountability partner. And I think a lot of times that fact that someone else knows what we're viewing and that and then it even allows us to have conversations if we do view something that's questionable or is a sexual attack or trap for us. And offense that's oftentimes overlooked and especially for myself now, I limit my my social media use. I definitely delete or silence certain people. Like if I only followed them because I thought they were fine or maybe I would get on one day, like there's no reason to follow them. Or I'm very conscious of the things that I watch on TV or the music that I listen to for sure. And if you're not married, you might be like, man, I don't need to do all of that. And that might be the case. But if there are certain things on like Instagram or Snapchat that easily cause lust or have you exploring some stuff that will have you doing the Matthew 5 verse 28 where you lusting after something. um, That could be TV shows, music, that those things for, for sure make you callous and not notice how your views on sex change flee from it, run away. And this is going to bring us into our second point. And I got to remind you that King David, he allowed himself to see a beautiful naked woman. And that flipped his world upside down. 
And our second point, this is probably the most underrated dude in the Bible. Uriah. His name is Uriah. He's the husband of Bathsheba. He kind of kills all of the myths that a man can't wait for sex or the idea that no one can wait that long. Like he teaches us how to not be sexually driven. So check this out. While Uriah was out at war, King David has an affair with his wife. She gets pregnant. King David has this bright idea. Hey, have Uriah come back and I'm going to ask him, hey, Uriah, how, how is everything going? How is the war going? And then King David tells him to go wash up and sends him a gift along with him. And King David was like, all right, I'm going to tell him to go wash up and him and his wife going to get it on and then I'm going to be off the hook. No one will know that I made this woman pregnant. Now, this is not biblical at all, but I just started thinking King David probably sent him something to make him want to get freaky with his wife. And I was just thinking like, man, this brother Uriah is special. He is different. Because I'm telling you now, if I would have been away from my wife for, let's say, a couple of months, typical war type stuff, I would have taken a shower and been all over my wife. But check out Uriah. This is how purpose driven he was. And purpose driven is our second point. Our second point for how we avoid sexual temptations, sexual traps and sexual attacks is being purpose driven. This is in 2 Samuel 11. Being purpose-driven, put your focus in the right place. So after King David asked Uriah all these questions he really didn't care about and told him to go wash up, he planned on Uriah going home and doing the nasty with his wife. But Uriah, listen to this, but Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all the master's servants and did not go down to the house. So just in case you didn't catch it, Uriah did not have sex with his wife like King David thought he would. A lot of men would have tried that night and that morning knowing that they're going to be gone to war. And word gets back to King David. They say, hey, King David, Uriah did not go home. So King David asked him, he says, hey, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Uriah's noble high character answer. Listen to this noble high character answer. He said to King David, he said, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents. And my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to him, uh, stay here one more day and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, Uriah ate and drank with King David and David made him drunk. Now I want to pause right here and I got to go back up to point one because I forgot to say this with the fences and the boundaries. But to my college people and my party folks, drugs and alcohol, they limit your common sense. Take a sip of this. Drink that. Don't it feel good, baby? Take a hit of this. Take that. Don't it feel good? Alcohol and drugs lead you to make more bad decisions and be ready to risk it all. So that's a fence and a boundary you have to have. And King David knew this. This is why he tried to get Uriah drunk. But it would have been okay because that's his, that's his wife. But just check out how purpose-driven Uriah is. It says, but in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servant. He did not go home again. He passed up having sex again. And I have this image in my head of like Bathsheba pulling out her best lingerie and getting all oily and getting word like, okay, he's about to come home. Do your thing, girl. And he never shows up. And that's something to learn from this, too, is that he didn't go home 
and lay in the bed and act like nothing was going to happen. I'll leave that for the single people, though. Purpose driven kept him focused, so focused that he could pass up on sex and be more concerned about serving his country, serving his Lord and serving his brothers in the military. He was built different. You can be built different if you are purpose driven and are thinking about serving the Lord first and foremost. And a note to take is that just because you are sexual doesn't mean being sexual is the most important aspect of your entire life. And my third point is when you're trying to avoid the sexual attacks or traps that are pretty much everywhere in our culture, you have to find like-minded people because it can be very discouraging when you're all by yourself and trying to live a life that is sexually pure. Friends are beyond important in this process. And I'm not talking about friends with benefits. I'm talking about like real life friends, especially friends of the opposite sex where there's no sexual encounters, no kissing, no touching, no nothing. Because you can learn so much about the opposite sex and you get in the habit of seeing a person as a human being with the soul. And let's say you do not have those type of friends or that community that you can surround yourself with. I found something on Instagram called the Sexless Tribe. And it's a group on Instagram that have made the vow to not have sex or get freaky until marriage. And it's actually pretty funny. They got a lot of funny videos and stuff. An example is they have a shirt that says boyfriends don't get husband privileges or they have memes that say stuff like Cinderella removed one shoe and found love, but she removed all your clothes and yet you're still single. Ooh, gotcha. And I know they have an app and I've talked to the creator before. and It's a very dope concept, Christian based that wants to give people the support and provide a community for them. And in the same breath that goes with the finding like-minded people is limiting the stories that you hear about people who are cheating or hidden any and everything because you start to think that's good and normal and you don't see their consequences usually. And if you hear these stories and you hear all these fun times, you start to think that you're missing out and you start to think to yourself like, man, I want to have a phase of life of just having lots of sex with whoever, whenever, however. But like-minded people and accountability partners help you see like, man, that's just lies. Those are half truths. And I got to reiterate this point. When I say like-minded people, I'm referring to people who want to do it as close as possible as they can to the Bible. I'm not talking about people that are like-minded in the way that you want to sin. Because let's say that you're struggling with your sexuality. If you find like-minded people that want to give into the flesh, you'll all of a sudden be turned into social media or you're torn, turned to porn. And you'll have those like-minded people telling you, that's totally fine. That's okay. But that's not what God's word says. And I think with that like-minded people that can help you on the right path, this definitely includes pastors and counselors. Allow them to be in your community too. Now let's move on though. Let's move to the fourth point. The fourth point on how to avoid these sexual attacks, traps. You got to stay good busy because bored is the devil's workshop. And when I say What I mean by good busy is good busy being something that glorifies God, something that helps you become better, something that helps you become closer to God. Like, no lie, this is part of the reason I probably worked out so much and I was coaching multiple sports. Like when I was able to fill my time with good stuff, I didn't even have time to think about getting on the chick, scrolling on social media for hours, looking at women in sundresses. Or like anything of that nature, the, the easy, the, the rabbit holes that we can get in sometimes. And part of that good busy is having meaningful connections 
and relationships with people that you actually can see face to face and do different activities and have different experiences with that don't involve anything sexual. And if your mind isn't going to be on something sexual, it allows your mind to be on something else. It allows your mind to be on something that is God pleasing and beneficial to you. And now my fifth point on this episode of SEX part three is that you have to be honest with yourself. Like all of us want to be wanted by someone like that is a real feeling. But you don't want to be in a relationship or a product of being in a relationship that is the result of unresolved hurt. And why I say that is because if you would do anything and everything to try to get someone to like you or to love you, you're going to be so much more sexually vulnerable to making bad decisions that you will stand absolutely no chance and you're only going to cause further damage and further hurt for yourself. So that's one of those where you probably need to take a step back work on yourself, allow yourself to heal through Christ, and then try to get into a relationship. Because otherwise, you're just going to be manipulated, used, and abused. And I'm just keeping it a buck. And we've talked about sex design is to connect and make two people be like one. So being friends with someone that you've had sexual relations with is pretty hard because of this. You probably don't need to be friends with someone that you had sexual relations with already. And that's why and how a lot of us stay in bad relationships or that person ends up becoming a friend with benefit. It be, it's because of this, because it's too easy to have in mind, like, man, we should just have sex again because I don't want to increase my body count or we've done it before. So it's really not that big of a deal. Or you just flat out are trying to fill a void, a void that you thought that sexual experience temporarily with that person had filled. And my last point my last point of the sexy six, if you are married or plan on being married or even think about the idea of marriage, remember, marriage is about two people aiming to please their spouse. It's less about you and it's more about him or her. And I would highly suggest, I've mentioned this before, reading the five love languages because you don't want to starve your spouse or not know how to love them properly. And I've read something where it says something like, you know, they don't get sex, so they're not going to love you. And since you don't feel love, you're not going to have sex. I think that came from the book Love and Respect, which is another good one. Sex and marriage should not be something that's like a bargaining chip or something that you withhold to try to punish a person in your marriage. Because definitely how you avoid sexual temptations when you're married is making sure that your spouse is good. Your spouse's love tank and sexual appetite is satisfied and they might not be full but they definitely shouldn't be hungry and their tank definitely shouldn't be empty and remember vulnerability and when you should be the most vulnerable is when you are married and this is something where you probably have to go against what you feel and just understand that's the way it's supposed to be but my body looks so much better five years ago who cares this is your husband or your wife be vulnerable and there definitely has to be a form of respect, a respect for a spouse who might have a low sex drive and realize that there are other ways to connect besides sex. And there's also needs to be a respect for someone who has a high level or a high sex drive and know that sex is a gift and a good way to connect. You got to check on each other sexually and intimately wise. And this quote that I found, sex is tied to intimacy which is tied to how much you're willing to give of yourself. If you're not willing to share your truth and be empathetic to your spouse's truth, then that's a problem. And on this episode of 
S-E-X, I got to just remind you that if you have been really sexually active, we just have to understand that old habits don't die unless they're dealt with. So you and I have to examine the why. Like, what was I searching for? What was I looking for in all of those sexual encounters? And definitely realize it's okay to get counseling. I would suggest a Christian counselor, and I would definitely say it's okay to talk to a pastor. But you do not want to lie to yourself. You do not want to accept the lie that, ah, it's too far. You might as well keep on having sex. You might as well keep on committing these sexual sins. Because it is definitely not too late. Your sins are not too bad. But best believe, it can get worse. And you can keep damaging yourself and putting a wedge in your relationship and picking up more consequences that don't need to be picked up. But you got to know, you are forgiven. Like Jesus died for each and every one of those sins. It's paid for. So start acting like it. The average Christian goes through a stretch of sexual sin, maybe multiple stretches. That does not have to define us, though. The devil trick is to tell you that you're already sinning. So you might as well keep on sinning and that you're all alone. And if you have not went on a stretch of sexual sin, the devil makes you think you are missing out on so much fun. But trust the order and the fact that God wants to give you his absolute best when it comes to sex. We don't have to be slaves to sexual attacks and traps set for us. If you're not married, keep your dipper in your zipper and your cookie in the cookie jar. And if you're married, dip away and give him all the dessert. Use God's provisions to maximize your sexual life. And this is the non-microwave truth. Thanks for joining me. This was the third episode of our three-part series. If you haven't checked out the last two before this, go ahead and do that. And if you thought this was helpful or you took something away from it, share it with someone. You can do that on YouTube, Spotify, Apple. It's on pretty much any podcast format. And thanks again to those who have left reviews or hit the five star. Shout out to Tay. Keep balling on heads. And shout out to Ann. And it's another person, but I don't know how to say your first name. I'll say shout out to Mr. Lawrence. I'm pretty sure his last name is Lawrence. Always good conversations and gives great perspective. But it's that time. Peace punch, Captain Crunch. They know the drugs and yes to Jesus. I'm out.